You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. If you'd like the sermon notes this morning, you can uh, just text the word notes to our text number 303-529-2188, and uh, you'll get a link to the sermon notes this morning. I recently read an article about a British cover band for the band Pearl Jam. And I don't remember exactly what their name had been, but it was too close to the name Pearl Jam. And so the management for the band sent the cover band a cease and desist letter. And so they changed their name to Legal Jam, which I thought was pretty funny and innovative. And it made me think about the whole idea of the cover band. Uh, especially a band that imitates one other kind of band. They'll play all of their songs. They try to imitate their sound, oftentimes even imitating their look. Years ago, I was on staff at a church, and for a Christmas party, we went, and there were different imitators of different famous musicians. There was... uh, a Patsy Cline imitator. This was in Texas, so a lot of country music. But the the grand finale was the Elvis impersonator. Now, I never saw Elvis live or barely when he was alive, but um, boy, there's been a lot of impersonators since then, hasn't there? And most of what I know about Elvis is not from seeing videos of Elvis, but videos of people acting like Elvis. And I talk about that to think about this idea that as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be imitators of him. The word Christian literally means little Christ. And it was first used not as some sort of a uh, identifier or a compliment, but as a, a really a, in a negative way. It was in a, a place called Antioch, and the people said, those people there are just a bunch of little Christ. They're just like Jesus. And they took that as a, as a moniker, as a compliment, and took on the name of Christian. In Galatia, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about uh, how Jesus is our example. And we're going to kind of use these two verses just as a place to kick off. But in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2 says this, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Imitate God and follow the example of Christ. Now, I thought about getting a wig and some sunglasses, uh, maybe a white uh, jumpsuit with a big collar and giving you my best Elvis impersonation, but it would not be entertaining at all, I promise you. Um, I... I don't have any of Elvis's skills. 
But we are to be imitators, not of Elvis, but of Jesus. And so I want us to first look at, uh, in this series, I want us to look at a passage in John chapter 13. One of my favorite stories of Jesus, but a place where Jesus says we are in fact to imitate him. In John chapter 13, in verse number one, it says this. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything, and that he'd come from God and would return to God. And so we have the Jesus and the 12 in this upper room celebrating the Passover, literally what we often refer to as the Last Supper. Jesus will go from here to the Garden of Gethsemane where he will pray, his disciples will fall asleep, and then Judas, having left the group, will come with a mob of soldiers and, and others betray Jesus with a kiss and he will be arrested and all of the events of the end of Jesus' uh, life, the mock trials, the torture, the persecution, ultimately his crucifixion will, will all begin to take place. Here they are having supper together and Jesus knows exactly what is to come. He knows that he is, he is taught all that he's going to teach them. He's performed these miracles and he's at the, the beginning of the end, if you will. And in John chapter 13 and verse four, it says, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Oh, Peter was great at making these declarative statements. You're never gonna do this. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. You're never gonna wash my feet. Well, I, I need to. Okay, give me a whole bath. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And so a couple of things I want us to see this morning from this passage. Number one, Jesus is our example in all things, but specifically here, he's our example in humility. He knew, listen to verse number three of John 13. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God 
and would return from God. Now, it's important to understand the, the mindset of Jesus. He's fully God, but he's fully man. But it says here, he knew exactly who he was. He had come from God, and after he completes this great work on the cross, dies and rises again, he will spend a few days with his disciples, a few weeks with his disciples, and then he will ascend into heaven where he will be glorified and spend the remainder of eternity. He has all authority. And in the context of verse three, we get verse four. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Knowing that he was God, that he was only hours away from sacrificing himself for all of humanity, he performs this act of service for these few men who were the closest to him. Really, what seemed to be fairly trivial. Sure, their feet were dirty, but their feet were gonna be dirty again. They walked around in sandals on dirt roads with, with open sewage and, and in, in a very uh, hot environment. Your feet were always dirty. And yet, understanding his authority, he took off his robe and wrapped a towel around his waist. He served with humility. God is looking for willing servants. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12, it says, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's talking to them about this, this gift that he is collecting for the saints at Jerusalem. And he says, listen, whatever you give is fine, but give it eagerly, give it willingly, give it humbly. In James chapter three and verse 13, James says this, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. And then he says this, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. James talks quite a bit in his letter about this idea of wisdom, that wisdom comes from God and that we can ask God and God will give us heavenly divine wisdom. And he says, you know what comes with wisdom? Humility. Isn't that interesting? Because wouldn't we tend to think that if God endows us with great discernment and understanding and we would live our lives and, and we would have success and, and, and people would see that, man, we really know how to, how to conduct ourselves in our career and, and we have success there and we know how to conduct ourselves with our family and, and, and God blesses that and, and, and we show great wisdom we might be prideful of that, but James says with godly wisdom comes humility. And certainly we see that in the act of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Because godly wisdom, being Christ-like, is an act of submission. James goes on in James 3, in verses 16 and 17, it says this, for wherever there is jealousy 
and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace loving, peace loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. The wisdom that is from above is willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Interesting phrase, isn't it? Willing to yield to others. You know, when you took driver's ed or you read the book to take your driver's test, they would give you all the different signs. An octagon, red octagon sign is a stop sign, right? And if it has white around it, you don't have to fully stop. That's a myth. That's not true. But you learn about one of those signs, the triangle, right, that says yield. Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Sometimes you just play chicken with that other person. Maybe you're getting on or they're getting on. And they need to get over, but you can't get over, or you've got the next exit, and you're just kind of, am I going to yield? Are you going to yield? Who's going to yield? Wisdom that is from above yields to others. It's humble. Jesus had all authority. He could have snapped his fingers and angels appeared to wash his feet. He could have said to his disciples, listen, I am the teacher. I am the Messiah. One of you get down here and wash the, my feet. You're my disciples. You're my followers. You should do what I command you. But that's not what he did. He humbled himself. And so Jesus is our example in humility, and he's our example in service. After washing their feet, John 3, 13, 12, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that's what I am. What I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. And he says this, do as I have done. Now, there are traditions in Christianity today where, uh, as part of different ceremonies, people will actually wash one another's feet. And, and, and that can be impacting, but what Jesus is saying is, is even greater than that. He's talking about a humble act of service. Because for most of us, our feet certainly aren't uh, at the level of the disciples, I mean, most of us shower or bathe pretty regular. Uh, we've got access to socks and good shoes. But the feet of travelers in those days, the, 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 the servant that had to wash the feet was kind of the lowest of the lows. One, think about the very act. You've got you've to kneel. You've got to get down. You've got to be face-to-face -face or face-to-foot with the feet. And then these feet are nasty, as I alluded to. People walked in, in open shoes, sandals, on dusty dirt roads. 
And Jesus said, follow my example of service. We talked about this last week and used Galatians chapter 5. But Galatians 5, 13 and 14 says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. We are free in Christ not to do what we want, but we are free to serve. Let me give you a few guidelines for how we are to serve. Number one, we're to serve without complaining. The New King James in 1 Peter 4 verse 9 says this, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. You ever do something, but you're not happy about it at all? You just... I've got things like that. Like, I have, I have chores in my job as a pastor and around my house. Some things I don't mind doing and some things I don't love to do. For instance, in the summertime when it's warm, let's all think about that for a moment. And the grass grows. Every week I cut my lawn. I like to cut my lawn. I have a big lawn uh, and I have a riding mower, so it's not that bad. It's really pretty easy. You know what I don't like to do? Weed eat. Because when I cut my grass, I mean, I can put on some shorts, put in some headphones, maybe listen to some music or a podcast, and I'm driving around getting a little sun. It's pretty great. I have a cup holder on my riding lawnmower. It's not that bad of a chore. Weed eating, not so much. I got to put on jeans and old shoes because they're going to get covered with all the grass that comes. I've got to hold that thing while it buzzes and go around my fence and, and, and the trees and the places that I can't get with the riding mower. And most of the time as I do it, I'm kind of like that because I don't like it. Now, I know you probably aren't like that. You probably get up every morning and you're whistling a tune and you're just happy to be alive and enjoying every activity that you have. But real service, godly service should be done without complaining, without grumbling. Not only that, but godly service should be according to what you have. 1 Peter 4 and verse number 10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. We looked earlier in 2 Corinthians where Paul would write to that church and say, give based on what you have, not on what you don't have. The good news here is God has given you a gift. You don't have to do what other people can do. Now, we have, to, we have to temper that. We have to understand that. If I said, now listen, you know, I want to serve God. And I've decided that the way I'm going to serve God is, in, in, is through music. And so I'm going to, I, I promise, Jay, Jason just went, I can feel him. And I said, man, I'm just going to, I'm just going to serve God through music. And so I'm going to play the guitar and I'm going to sing and you're going to love it and God will be praised. Listen, that's not how God would have me serve. You know how I know that? 
because I can't sing a lick. And, and I've tried to learn to play the guitar, and I probably could learn to play the guitar if I would apply myself, but I haven't really done that either. God hasn't equipped me to do that. God hasn't gifted me to do that. And I know people that say, well, I, you know, preacher, I'd, I'd serve God if I could preach or if I could do this. Listen, God has made each of us different and, and, and God has made each of us unique and we need to serve him the way he has gifted us to serve him. And so we need to serve him without complaining. We need to serve him according to what we have. And then we need to serve him generously as God is with us. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, says, as the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord. And listen to what it says about our Lord, who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he can make you rich. God is generous to us. And we're to be generous in our service to others. We're to serve without complaining. We're to serve based on our gifting. And we're to serve generously. And finally, this morning, Jesus is our example in action. In John 13, the last part of this section, beginning in verse 16, Jesus said this, I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Jesus gets up from the table. He takes off his robe. He girds himself with a towel and he begins to go from disciple to disciple. He's got this bowl of water and he's washing each of their feet. We don't know what the conversation was with any of the other disciples. We only know about the conversation that happened with Peter. Where Peter's like, no, Lord, you're not doing this. And then he's like, yes, do it. Give me a full bath. And then when he gets done, he stands back up. He Maybe he dumps the bowl out, hangs up the towel, puts his robe back on, sits back at his place for supper. And you can imagine that all the eyes are on him. And he begins to use this as an example. And he says, I am your teacher, I am your master, and yet this is what I did. You need to do likewise. You need to wash one another's feet. This is how you need to serve. And then at the very end, he says, now that you know this, blessed are you if you do it. You just need to go and do it. You need to start serving. See, we serve because we've been called to service. John chapter 5, verses 18 and 19 says, So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. And, and so this is the, the scenario. They're trying to kill him, but Jesus explained 
I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. This was Jesus' explanation when he knew that the religious leaders were trying to kill him. And they were like, this guy breaks the Sabbath. This guy claims to be the son of God. And he says, listen, I only do what the father tells me to do. I'm connected to the Father. Later in verse, in verse 30 of chapter uh, 5 of John, he says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me, therefore my judgment is just, because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. You see, Jesus came to the earth because the Father asked him to. John chapter 3 and verse 16 says what? God so loved the world that he gave his Son. The father had a plan, and it involved the sacrifice of the son. And so Jesus would say over and over, I and my father are one. We have the same wills. We have the same plan. We have the same desire. And I can't do anything except this is what the father would have me to do. The same thing is true for us. God has a plan for us. He's created us for a mission, and he's gifted us. And we need to begin to put that into action. Matter of fact, I'll tell you, if you're here this morning, you're watching online and you're like, you know, preacher, I'm just not, I feel like God's stirring me up and I know he wants me to do something, but I'm not sure what that is. Listen, I would submit to you, just start doing something. Start serving him and you know what? God will adjust where you need to be and what you need to be doing, but he is looking for people who are willing and humble and will just start doing something. We need to put this idea of service into action. Then I see that there's reward promise for those who serve. Jesus said, blessed are you. God will bless you for doing what I have taught you. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21, Jesus said this, the master was full of praise as he's given the end of the parable of the talents. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Well done, good and faithful servant. When does that come? It comes when the master returns and the servants have been at work. They've been serving. They've been active. A couple of things as we close this morning. Two things about our motive for service. Number one, true service is to be about others. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 24 says this. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Real Christian service is concerned not with who can see it, not with, you know, is everybody going to see what I'm doing here? Real Christian service is concerned about others. Jesus didn't wash his disciples' feet just so that, you know, word would spread about what a great servant leader he was. He was teaching those guys. He was serving those guys. 
Matter of fact, it's interesting, isn't it, that oftentimes Jesus would heal somebody and then he would say, don't tell anybody. Well, that's not what we do, right? I mean, if, if, we're gonna, if we're gonna do an act of service, we're like, well, let's get a selfie and let's stream it live and let's make sure everybody knows exactly what we're doing. But real service is not about us, it's about others. And then real service seeks to glorify God. First Peter chapter four and verse 11 says, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all your strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. When I pray during the welcome, I say the same phrase almost every week, and it's the same thing that I pray throughout the week and, and, and on Sundays early before our service. God, in our worship service, let everything be done for your honor and for your glory. Because we think about the worship service. I, I try to prepare a message, and, and, and Jason works hard on our music, and we talk about uh, what, what things we're going to promote and, and, and just what kind of atmosphere we want to have. But here's the thing. I don't want you to come and walk away feeling good about it and God not be honored. That's not the goal. In everything, we want to glorify God. In our food bank, we hand out food to those in need, but we want to do it for the glory of God. Listen, we have folks who serve in our nursery and in our children's ministry, and they do a tremendous job, and they, they have a burden for those kids, and they want to teach those kids the things of Christ, but we don't do that just for the children. It needs to be done for the glory of God. I, when we preach, I want, I want God's word to go forth, and I want people's lives to be changed, and, and I try to be entertaining in that and, and, and engaging in that, but not for anything other than the glory of God. When we sing, we want it to be excellent. We want our music to be a high quality, but not for the praise of the musicians, but for the glory of God. And that should be everything that we do. Whether it's being kind to a neighbor, serving a friend or a family member. We want all of those things to be done for God's glory. And Jesus is our example in all things, and he's our example in service. And so let us serve like Jesus, with humility, with action, not for ourselves, but for God's glory. Let's pray this morning. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, I thank you on this cold February day that we can gather together, that we can sing praises to you, that we can learn from your word, 
And God, I do pray that you would be honored and glorified, not just with what we do, but the attitude with which we do it. And God, not that you're just honored and glorified in this service, but that you're honored and glorified with our service as we go from this place this week. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 